Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 101, The Many Paths to Communal Demise. E non posso più e così ritorno su. I'd also like to give a shout-out today to one of my new favourite podcasts, that is, The History of North America. I really, really enjoy Totalis Rankin Presidents, and I was looking for something else about the history of the United States and North America in general, and hey presto, I came across Mark Vinette's A History of North America. But rather than mess up what it's all about and Babylon, I'll let Mark tell you. The History of North America podcast is a sweeping historical saga of the United States, Canada, and Mexico from their deep origins to our present epoch. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this exciting, fascinating, epic journey through time, focusing on the compelling, wonderful, and tragic stories of North America's inhabitants, heroes, villains, leaders, environment, and geography. This incredible historical adventure follows a path of exciting events led by interesting people who reach beyond their grasp to touch key moments in time. The History of North America podcast series is an educational and entertaining look at the thrilling chronicle of North America, an action-packed tale of a continent that is still unfolding. I invite you to come along for the ride. So, once you've finished listening to this episode, head on over using your favourite podcast player to the History of North America. Now, back to us. I'm going to start by repeating a couple of the things I have already said, but they are rather important concepts, and I'll be quick. If you have really good memories, feel free to get distracted at this point. The first repetition is that the time of painful choices has come. We simply cannot talk about what was going on in every city in the peninsula all the time. We've actually already started to have to make that choice, but it will get even harder in the 14th century. Now, I can almost hear you. I can feel your pain. Those sleepless nights, tossing and turning, the distracted moments, the loss of effectiveness at work as you ponder, when, oh when, will I know who ruled over the city of Cesena from 1300 to 1301? But set your heart and soul at rest. We are simply not going there. It was Federico di Montefeltro, by the way. On the bright side, if you can now put back the pieces of your shattered lives, for those who are really keen on this period, known as that of the Signorie, that in which the democratic, air quotes, 
communes gave way to the hereditary rule of single families, there is a project by Italian historians called the RESCI, the Catalogue of the Experiences of the Signoria, which is an online source that is searchable by family and by location. I'll put the link in the show notes, so you can look up a particular city to see who ruled there, or a particular family to see where and when they ruled. That brings us to the other repetition that I mentioned, and that's as the guy with the funny spiky head in the never-ending story said about the empress, the communes are dying. In some cases, as we move into the 14th century, they are already dead. The proto-democratic phenomenon of the independent city-states governing themselves, albeit under control of their elites, was almost over, and by the year 1340, aside from Genova, there would be no city in Italy that could really call itself a republic or a free commune. We have seen that this is coming about for various reasons. The communes are no longer able to deal with the growing needs of the new economic and demographic situation, especially when they are always so busy with feuds inside their cities and with neighbouring communes. This is also the reason behind the success of some of the Signorie Sovracittadine, i.e. the Signorie that rule over more than one city. In this way, the commune can dump the military cost off on the lord and the salarium domini, the tax they had to pay to the overlord, was never as much as sustaining said military costs. Having said this, the monopoly on violence was now out of the hands of the communal authorities. If you don't pay for it, you don't have a say in it. The whole issue of this transformation was sort of an open secret that didn't grasp much attention in the first decade of the 1300s, also because it was a time of relative peace and prosperity, and when things are going well and your tummy is full, at least for the richer part of the population, you're not that bothered about politics. However, the failed descent of Holy Roman Emperor Henry VII, although inconsequential in itself, did rip away the veil on the open secret. Indeed, he nominated many of the signori who were establishing themselves as imperial representatives, and everybody started to say, hold on a minute, who are these guys popping up all over the place? This is a good point for us to insert a little digression on the word tyrant. Now, we see it today as having a purely negative connotation, as an absolute unrestrained ruler who often oppresses subjects or is an usurper. However, the meaning has not always been negative. In ancient Greece, it often simply meant a sort of king ruling over a city-state. Even in our Middle Ages, it wasn't always negative, with the chronicler Riccardo of Ferrara, for example, calling the Lord of Treviso, from 1283 to 1306, Gerardo da Camino, Tyrannus Equissimus et Civilis, a fair and civil tyrant. On the other hand, when the popes were hurling the word tyrant as an insult to the emperors, 
they definitely weren't trying to make a compliment. In any case, these people did gradually take over our beloved old communes. As always, it was never a linear, simple switch from one system to the other. In some cases, the communes, after an experience of a single ruler, went back to being good old communes, and in different cities there were varying levels of autonomy and very different systems of political organisation, with the signori having different roles, powers and responsibilities in the different cities. And we could also point to situations where the same person had different roles in different cities they ruled over. Having said this, we can now have a look at some different ways in which the transformation from commune to signoria came about. First of all though, one last word from our sponsors. So, let's now have a look at the different types of signorie, keeping in mind that also in this case you can't really trace a clear distinction. For example, one signore could fall into more than one category, or a city could have different types of signoria over the course of years. So, the different categories are Di popolo, of the people, capi fazione, factional leaders, dal territorio, from the surrounding countryside, condottieri, the mercenary military leaders, banchieri, bankers, and vescovi, bishops. The first kind, di popolo, of the people, was the most common sort. This is the case in which the signore took and manage power according to the will of the people in agreement with the existing communal administrative bodies. It was most common because it made for a smooth transition in the initial phases. The people would willingly give up their communal freedom in a wave of enthusiastic acclamation in which the signore would be elected in his role, such as the captain of the people, in perpetuity or until something came up. This sort of reminds me of the scene in Star Wars Episode 3, when Senator Palpatine is awarded full powers and Padme Amidala says, So this is how liberty dies, with thunderous applause. The Palpatines in this case didn't go on to found a galactic empire, however, although by the 1330s they would start to take a more autocratic approach modifying the administrative systems in the city and placing limitations on the opposition. Some examples could be the Della Scala family in Verona, who also have a good moment of expansion before the Visconti bang them on the head and push them back, and then the Beccaria in the old capital of the Kingdom of Italy, Pavia, or also the Trinci in the lovely Umbrian town of Foligno. The capifazione category, factional leaders, is pretty self-explanatory. You have two opposing factions in a city, one wins out over the other and takes over. Simple as pi, for example the Visconti in Milan. The dal territorio, from the surrounding countryside, is a slightly different story. These are families whose power bases come from castles and other strongholds in the area close to a city who enter into local politics of the city, such as in the case we have already seen, the 
della Gerardesca in Pisa, remember the cannibal count? Otherwise, they could be condottieri, military leaders who then take over a city, such as in the case of the Malatesta family in many cities of the Romagna area. The above-mentioned Da Camino from Treviso are an interesting example of the mix we spoke of, since they came from the surrounding area of Verona, but they ruled according to the approval and will of the people, at least at the start. Other examples could be those of the Gonzaga in Mantua and the Da Fogliano in my own little Reggio Emilia. The advantage for these signori was that if things went badly in the cities, they could always leg it back to the castles they came from to seek refuge. The next category, that of the condottieri, is a really interesting one that we, alas, will not have as much time to look at as the topic would require. That is, of course, unless I change my mind. These were skilled military leaders and strategists for hire who often ended up conquering cities for themselves and having spent time under the service of the signori. Think something along the lines of the Golden Company hired by Queen Cersei in Game of Thrones to defend against the attack of Daenerys Targaryen. Although I didn't read of any medieval company in Italy being consumed by dragonfire. The condottieri did not really become a thing until after the 1320s, when the move to the Signorie was almost complete. Some examples could be the aforementioned Malatesta in Romagna or the Montefeltro in Urbino. If you want to delve into the quite fascinating world of the condottieri, you find something also in English, for example by the late Professor Michael Mallet of the University of Warwick with his book Mercenaries and Their Masters. The category of banker lords is also self-explanatory. The rising banking profession brought immense riches to certain families who managed to use that economic power to then wield political power as early as the late 13th century in places such as Alba in Piedmont, Piacenza and Genoa, or later in the 14th and even 15th centuries in places such as Ventimiglia, Bologna, Lucca, Siena, Pisa and, of course, Florence. I'll mention the family in Lucca, which is that of the Castracani, the dog castrators, and I'll just leave that with you. Can you imagine going into your bank for a loan and asking to speak to Mr. Dog Castrator, please? It does not bode well. The disadvantage of this category was that it was very much tied to the fortune of great rulers, such as Charles of Anjou. If you need cash to take over a kingdom, you're gonna want to keep your creditors happy, and sometimes said creditors would accept political favours and advantages in payment of loans. However, when someone didn't pay up, such as a certain Edward of England, your bank would go bust. They were also subject to economic crises, such as when the economy started to slow down in the 1320s and after the Great Plague periods of 1348-49 and 1360-61. The last and perhaps least common of the categories was that of the Bishop Signori. 
There were only around 10 of these listed in the RESCI, the Signoria catalogue, and we have already seen one case, that of Ruggeri degli Ubaldini, who ruled over Pisa after sticking Count Ugolino della Gerardesca in a tower with his sons and grandchildren to die of hunger, and then ended up in Dante's Inferno, getting his head munched on by the Count for all eternity. This category also doesn't require much of an explanation. You're a bishop with spiritual authority over a city, and while you're at it, you go in for the secular power as well. Easy peasy. So, these are the many paths to communal demise. They will mix and match and go backwards and forwards, or forwards and backwards. They will go from the early popular forms to a more authoritarian one in which the communal roles and laws would be substituted. New figures such as new magistrates would be added. Temporary situations would give way to hereditary ones. This would be by no means at the same time and in the same fashion all over, and not without opposition, starting from opposition within the same factional family. But in the end, as we said in the beginning, the curtain would close on our communes. Once that had happened, we would see the rising power gain influence and strength and bring various cities and the surrounding countryside into a larger state structures, such as the Duchy of Milan or that of Tuscany. But that is a story for another day. Thanks very, very much to everyone for listening. I would like to send out a particular heartfelt thanks to my wonderful Patreon supporters as we go above and beyond episode 100. In this very difficult year in which work has sometimes slowed down or even stopped, your continued support has allowed the podcast to go on, and I thank you very, very much. Thanks in particular to the top part of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Anthony G., Brian J, Celine, Chanel, Chris, David L, Dean V, Douglas, Elizabeth, Greg, Ignacio, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, and Kevin, and and of course thanks to the tippy top level, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Paolo, Lisa K, J W, Andrew M. Brandon S. Maxime, David A., who are now joined by Peter W., who has moved up a level, and of course, Sen. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com to share your thoughts or doubts or desires. What is it you really desire, as Lucifer would say, or just to say hello, whatever. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media and go to our support page and become one of those lovely Patreons and have access to extra content or support us on PayPal. Thanks again very much to everyone for listening and until next time, arrivederci.
Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.